Welcome to the Middleman Podcast, where we discuss ideas, best practices, and everyday routines to enable you to live in the middle. I am your host, Tyler Hall, and with me is my co-host, as always, Andrew Sweet. Thank you for being with us, and again, hang on and enjoy the ride. Talking about positivity, um, which can be a lot of things, um, but we're also going to recap a bit of our conversation from last week. Um, for those of you that joined, we we're just simply introducing ourselves uh, to our listeners and little stories. And one of the things that caught my interest after li- listening uh, to what we talked about was Tyler kind of called me out on um, aspiring for, you know, really, really having a desire to be a professional athlete. And he mentioned that. You know, that's not really something that a lot of people aspire for. So I, I was really interesting that he mentioned that. So, Tyler, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Talk, talk me through, you know, what made you feel that way or why, why you think most people don't aspire to it. And I'd, I'd hope to have a little or just a quick dialogue here on, on maybe why that's happening and, and maybe it'll be a topic we follow up on later. You know, I think at the core of it, Andrew, and great introduction, by the way, loved it. Um, at the core of it, I think just we as humans have doubts when you think about there's only less than 1% of the world's population. In fact, it's probably less than a hundredth of a percent of the world's population ever are professional athletes, right? And so it's just human nature, I think, when we see such a, such a small population of the world that actually make it to the, to the big show or the big dance, if you will. And, and I think, I think it's only, it's only natural as humans to doubt our own abilities to, to be the less than one one hundredth of a percent in the world, right? Does that make sense? So, you, so not necessarily just professional athletes, but it could even be, you know, rocket scientists, right? There's probably only less than one one hundredth of the world are rocket scientists, and so it's not realistic for me to aspire to be that. Yeah. So. so I guess I'm thinking about, you know, when I when I was having those thoughts, you know, it was somewhere around, you know, 12 to 15, you know, and there's a variety of reasons I was thinking that way. I, I guess what I'm really trying to get down down to the uh, I guess down to the brass taxes, you know, how many other 12 to 14 year old kids are still set in their mind of a dream they have? You know, like, do you, th- do you think that's a big number, small number? What, what, like, what type of societal pressures are perhaps inhibiting that? Do you think it should be bigger, smaller? Yeah, Other that, thoughts there? that's a really good question. I, I think a lot of it has to do with social pressures and really, really their upbringing. So what they're being told in their household, right? So if I'm, if I'm 12 and 13 years old and my parents maybe saw something in me that I didn't, maybe perhaps they would have pushed me a little bit more and said, look, we think you're an elite athlete. We think you could be really good. We think you could be in the pros, right? If Maybe if I was instilled with a little bit more of that confidence, I would have had the same aspirations. Um, and I think, I think there's social cues as well, right? So if I was the best athlete at 12 and 13, like hands down, again, I probably would have had more confidence that I could be a professional athlete. But I, but I wasn't, you know, I was always, I was always really good. I was always probably in the top 10%, 
but there was always guys that were better than me. And so, you know, I think, um, I think those type of doubts start to creep in and, uh, you know, at least that was for me. I can't, I don't know that I can speak for everybody, but I, that was kind of my experience growing up. So how does that, so how does that experience translate to meteoric thoughts, you know, let's say in high school and college, you know, cause I think the thing that I keep coming back to is I think there, there's all this, you know, dogma marketing or, or just general visualizations about, you know, be, you can be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want, all these types of things. And I think what we find if we were to talk to like high school kids or kids in college, like, Hey, you know, what are you, what is your dream? And, and do you dream of, you know, being a millionaire and, and employing other people, like making the world a better place. And I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm almost slightly depressed about thinking about what those responses could potentially be and almost why that's happening. Like there's like a disconnect between, yeah. there's a disconnect between, Hey, you can actually go out and do these things. But when we get back into our, uh, our educational circles or our social circles, even people kind of push down on you for thinking those things. Like not so much in the, I, if you're fortunate enough to be around people who support that ideology or support dreams and support the action you're putting behind them. I mean, you obviously don't have that problem, but you think about the, the most of the education in America, if there's a, uh, you know, a 10 year old kid from maybe not the best side of the neighborhood, if he's talking about how he wants to be X, Y, and Z great person, he's probably getting the crap kicked out of him. Yep. Yeah. And, and I think about, I think about a guy like, especially when you say that, I think about a guy like Sebastian Telfair. I don't, I don't know if that name rings a bell to you, but Sebastian grew up in, I want to say the Bronx or, or inner city New York. And, um, you know, was always being told you're never going to be anything right. And grew up with gang violence and uh, all sorts of different household issues and, and different peer pressures and, um, at the end of the day, he made it to the league and had a nice, solid ten-year career, right? And I think a lot of a lot of professional athletes have that type of upbringing. Perhaps my thought on when you bring up what changes from a twelve and fourteen-year-old's mindset or perspective on fulfilling their dreams and aspiring for great things when they get older to the time that they're perhaps finishing high school or in college. For me, Andrew, I think what it is, is there's a realization once you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old that, gosh, I am really close to real life now and I'm still not (laughs) perhaps where I need to be to become a millionaire or to become a professional athlete. So I think as you get closer to, you know, the age of which you could accomplish some of those dreams your doubt becomes bigger and bigger and greater and greater. And I think that's the same thing. A lot of times we have excuses, the older we get and the longer that we're not perhaps millionaires or professional athletes or fulfilling our dreams, uh, you know, we, we start to, we start to doubt our, our own ability, right? If I haven't done it by this age, can I ever do it? Right. And I think that's a doubt that needs to be, that needs to be trashed because we've seen we've seen many successes. Even even a guy like you know a guy like Grant Cardone didn't make his first real estate investment until he was forty, and today he sits on over a half a billion dollars of real estate assets, private real estate assets, which is pretty incredible. 
speaking of, speaking of Grant, I was watching a, a video blog of his the other day, and I forget the guy he was hanging out with, but they were they were going down the same thought path of you about the excuses, and he was saying that, you know, if you're if you're a kid and you're 18, uh, and you and you have a big dream, there's probably a lot of people around you saying, hey, you're too young for that, like, hey, you're 18, you shouldn't be thinking about, you know starting a company that turns into a billion dollar organization, you know, you're way too young for that. Likewise, if you get north of 30, people start telling you you're too old. Like, hey, you're too old to start that company, right? For sure. Um, so I think it's just it's just very interesting um, what happens as, as we're engaged in either, you know, whether you work at a company or in school, the things that happen to you in the conversations you have. So anyway, let's put let's put that on pause. I think that'll be something that we can come back to. But getting back to the the positivity, I think even, you know, just just about that question I asked you, you know, there's kind of an ornate positivity about thinking big. Um, and I know you have some good content here about um, just the different types of positivity that people can have and how that correlates to thinking about the future versus the past, um, which will be good stuff later. But I want to talk about very quickly a story, or not a story, but something that happened to me uh, last week. So uh, Tyler and I both both work out. So I, I get up and go to the gym and lift weights and do some cardio. Tyler prefers uh, classes where somebody has to teach him how to work out, but that's his jam. You know, I don't give. I'm not going to give him too much of a hard time about it. But anyway, I'm driving home from the gym. It's probably I don't know, maybe 6:30 in the morning, uh, driving home, and I, I'm going through kind of like a, I guess like a a connection point between a main road and, and like the side road I was on uh, where my gym's at. And, and there's a guy running in the street and we're kind of getting to, we're getting to an intersection and a stop sign at the exact same time. And my windows are down, you know, it's the weather's nice here in Chicago right now. And I got the window down and he just kind of casually looks at me and, and waves and says, you know, good morning. Hello. You know, he might've said great day. I don't really catch the rest of it. And he went on about his run and I literally stopped in my tracks because I was so caught off guard with it being 630 in the morning and having like a verbal interaction with another human being. Um, it literally just, just caught me off guard. And, that, and then I started wondering and thinking about who is this guy? You know, what does he do for a living? What is his family like? And I was doing this entire analysis of who I thought he was based off of this one simple yet very impactful interaction that I was having with him. And obviously for me, this guy being very nice and jovial uh, made me feel good. Like I said, good morning back to him. And then I just started thinking about, man, how many other people has he ran into in the morning uh, and, and said that? So right there, you know, wow. positivity in the morning got me off to a great start. Pretty cool little thing. So, Andrew, tell me, like, I mean, obviously this had an impact on you or, or we wouldn't be talking about it. Tell me about, like, how did that make you feel initially and and perhaps later in the day or when you got back home and you were showering and getting ready for the day, I mean, is that something that stuck with you? And and did it did it inspire you to be to be the same way in any way? Yeah, I mean, I be, I was just very conscious of it the rest of the day, and and I don't think it's because people don't say hi. I think it was just the context of when it happened, you know. I I, I like to think of myself as a, a bit of a loner when it comes to routines. You know, when I wake up at, you know, four thirty five in the morning to go to the gym, like nobody's up. Nobody, nobody's really on the road yet. The, the gym is sparse. You know, there, there, there's not nobody there, but there's, you know, a, a decent contingent. But there's no one really, I guess, talking to you 
you know, like people's brains aren't turned on yet. Right. And for me, this guy just being so okay, so early in the morning, just being like, hey, good morning, enjoy your day. It it just, I I feel that it sets him up for a great day of just, he's looking, he's looking to make someone else's day or like wake somebody up or cheer him up. Uh, And that definitely had had an impact for me the rest of the day. Like, hey, am I, am I doing that enough? Am I looking for opportunities to make other people feel better um, or point them in the right direction versus waiting for people to ask me to ask me for help. And that that was literally wow. the thought I was left with. That's really interesting. And, and I think I think for myself and any of our listeners out there, they've probably had similar similar things happen to them. Right. Where it's such a small thing. Right. That guy literally took zero ounces of effort or energy to, to say that, right. And, and give you that wave and that smile perhaps, but the impact that it had on you was significant. And I, I'm assuming this guy at some point had somebody do something similar to him. And he, and he realized, gosh, that made a big impact on me. I think I can, whether it's, you know, I think I can go out of my way and do these types of things. So my question for you as well would be, like, do you think that effort was conscious or unconscious? Like, I wonder if this guy consciously saw you coming and consciously thought about saying and doing what he did, or if it's now just he's a creature of habit and it's an unconscious way that he lives his life and goes around making people feel good, right? That's a like it's 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 almost a scary thing to think about because I feel like the rabbit holes mentally I'll go down thinking about that um, are, are never ending. I think I think it's probably routine for this guy, and I'm going to make some big assumptions here based on he he this guy was probably I'd say mid forties. You know he was in shape. Um, you know, he looked like a runner, like it looked like that was his thing. So I'm, I, I think it's almost more fun to think about who this guy is. You're right. So it's like, okay, 45 in a nicer neighborhood, uh, you know, for in that age bracket, you know, income bracket. It's like, okay, maybe this guy's, you know, is he a business guy? Is he a, is he a doctor? Is he a lawyer? You know, what's his wife like? I bet he's got like is two he a kids. Maybe, yeah. Count like what, what is, what is this guy? I'm almost ironically enough this morning I was making the same drive and now I'm going that same way. Cause I'm hoping I see him again. Uh, and I'm, I'm definitely going to shake him down. If I see him, ask him to ask him to be on the show and just ask him to tell us about why he did that. But I mean, I, somewhere, some way, some place, it wasn't unconscious for him. I have no doubt there was one day, you know, whether he was a kid or, or in, in his early adulthood, he made some type of conscious effort to be, um, to be positive or, 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 or reach out to people when necessary. And I was, I was thinking about this the other day when I was, where was I going? I think I was going to Nashville. Um, when I first started traveling a lot for work, I used to talk to everybody. Um, you know, I, I would chit chat people on the planes. I mean, for me, these, this is the type of thing that wore off. I'd say in the first couple months after you've been doing it a while and this interaction, it literally brought me back to that. Like, Hey, I need to be more, uh, you know, inquisitive around people that I don't know where I'm just kind of in transit or it's not really a professional setting. Um, so that guy, I mean, just, just doing that, it provoked something in me that said, you know what, the next flight I'm on, the next time I'm, I'm checking into a hotel or, 
you know, grand, grabbing a random dinner by myself on the road, I'm going to try to look out for people and, and say hello, ask how they're doing, like what are they here for, um, and just put that good energy out in the world. So that's what he did for me, which, um, you know, I think that's great. It's a it's a cool, uh, you know, when you bring in travel to the equation. Obviously, you and I both both travel quite a bit for work, and you spoke to my heart when you said that, right? I think I used to be a lot better at these at these types of interactions. Whether it was don't get all squishy or, on me, Tyler. This or, is serious, <laughs> or, serious stuff. Or no, or whether it was you know in an airport or or crossing somebody's path. And I when I think about that, Andrew, it brings me to a time where. I guess the best way for me to say this is I only go out of my way when I think people need it, but I don't think that's the right way necessarily. Right. So a good example was I sit, I happened to sit next to a lady on the plane who had two young kids, probably three and three and five or three and six, something like that. Just, just small children. And she was struggling. They were sad. They were crying. She, you could. She was starting to sweat a little bit. And I just said, I just said, let me help you. How can I help you? I took care of her bags. I um, at one point her son was like sitting on my lap watching his iPad. <laughs> like so. By the end of the flight, she said, "Gosh, that really meant a lot to me. Thank you for doing that." Right. And it was it was a small gesture for me, but it was because she needed it. It wasn't because I went out of my way or unconsciously I thought to do it. It was a decision that I, I saw a need and I addressed the need. But in the case of the runner, you know, I think, like you said, I think he's doing these things unconsciously. And that's, that's really the point that, that sounds like you and I would like to get to. And I'm sure many of our listeners. Yeah, it's big, big time stuff for sure. Um, I have a similar story. That, that I want to share as we as we kind of transition here a little bit. So I was at the grocery store yesterday, and we're heading to California on Saturday. So we had quite the uh, you know quite the laundry list of things to pick up. But as we were checking out, my wife was behind me with our 18 month old boy, and uh, and and our groceries were coming down the belt, and and I started talking to the the bagger lady. Um, she was probably middle 60s. Kind of, kind of looked looked a little bit like a mess, right? Um, not super approachable, but but we had some nice dialogue. We had a really nice conversation, and you know, she asked me, "Do you have any fun plans for the weekend?" It looks like the slew of of food that you got is probably means you're having a barbecue or you're going somewhere. And I, you know, instead of just saying, "Yeah, we're," you know, "Yes, I do have fun plans." I actually got into some detail and treated this lady like my friend. So we we started talking about. We're going to California this weekend. We're staying in Oceanside. Really excited. We do this once a year, and and we had a, we just had a really nice dialogue. And when I left, um, she looked at me and she said, very simply, "Thank you for being nice to me." Right? It wasn't have a great day. It wasn't um, you know thanks for shopping at Fry's. It was it was thank you for being nice to me. And I just wonder, you know, how many people that go through that line during the day give her a smile or, you know, tell her she looks nice or tell her thank you, right, for the service that she's offering. And I think it's not enough, right? Because you could tell that that gesture, that dialogue that we had meant something to her. So anyways, it's kind of a similar story and wanted to wanted to share that with our listeners. 
So how did so what brought that into you? I mean, full disclosure, this was something Tyler and I talked about already, but like what what warranted that action on your part? Like what consciously went went through your mind to say, you know what? When I talk with this this individual, I'm going to be genuine about it. I'm not just going to give the, oh yeah, great, going to have a great weekend. You know, thanks for asking. Blah blah blah. You know what it was, Andrew? I was looking for it. Okay, I, like it, I would be lying if I said that was natural. That was something that I always do. I wish it was, but it was an opportunity I was looking for. Right, and and I think that's fine. I, I think as we as I strive to develop this unconscious positivity. It's okay to be conscious about it and to be looking for those types of opportunities because I think the more that I do it, the more natural it's going to become, and yep. I'll become I'll become a creature of habit. It'll become secondhand nature for me. So, no, that's good, man. So even what even before the when you say you were consciously looking looking for it, yeah. what, what brought that on? Like, how did you decide I'm going to look for I'm going to look for an opportunity to be to be genuine and and provide some positive interaction with somebody. Literally, How'd you even decide that? Yeah, no, literally it was the story about the runner in Chicago, right? I've never met this guy. I have no idea what he looks like. I heard it through one of my good friends, Andrew Sweet. Right? And, <laughs> Shameless and, plug. And literally that, that like inspired me. I heard that and I thought, gosh, why don't I do that? Right. I interact with enough people. I could do that. Um, it was that that inspired me and, and made me more conscious of these types of interactions. So random runner guy in uh, Bloomingdale, oh. Illinois, <laughs> um, you are responsible for the happiness of a checker in or a bagger in uh, a grocery store in Phoenix, Arizona. That, that's that. basically what we just talked about. Totally. It's beautiful. Uh, I love it. It is. It is beautiful. It's big stuff. So, I mean... Or, or organically here, we're kind of talking about just being generally nice uh, and looking for it. But but there's more there's more there. I think there's different types of positivity, um, different ways that you can display that. And I know Tyler, that's something you're you're passionate about, um, and I'd love for you to share uh, some of your insights there. Sure. So you know, I was doing a little bit of research on this, and I came across an article uh, by a company called TimeManagementNinja.com. And the article was titled 21 Ways to Define Positive Attitudes. Um, the things that stuck out to me, I, I chose three of them, and I think they fit well with, with these stories that we shared today. But the first one was being a source of energy that lifts those around you. The second one was being happy for someone else's success. And the third one was paying a compliment, even to a total stranger. And I think when I think of those three things, you know, None of them actually require that much effort, but like internally, maybe they do, right? I think about, you know, we work in sales, so we're always competing with our peers. We're competing against ourselves and we're competing with our peers. And sometimes it's hard when you see a peer close a big deal and you know they just made a gob of money to, to send them a nice note and say, congratulations, I know the amount of work you put in for that, you know. I think that's something we can be doing more. A good example of that is, I don't know if you saw, but Steph Curry just signed the largest deal in NBA history. It was $201 million for five years, right? Basically, basically $40 million a year. And the first thing that happens after he signs that 
agreement is the best player in the world and arguably to some the greatest basketball player of all time, LeBron James, sent a note publicly over Twitter and Instagram saying, Steph Curry, you deserve it, man. Congratulations. Steph Curry is like his biggest enemy on the court, right? I mean, this is a guy that you know, they, they they now have faced each other in, in multiple straight finals. It looks like it's gonna be multiple more finals. This is like this is like his his arch enemy, and he's publicly praising um, the, the biggest contract of all time and being being proud and being happy for his you know, for his fellow basketball player. So I, I thought that was a I thought those three things were we're pretty we're pretty unique and tied in well to what we're talking about today. Did did I, I don't I don't track basketball that much, but when Curry won the MVP, did did LeBron reach out and congratulate him on that? I don't know that he did right away, but he but he absolutely did. Um, you know, obviously LeBron he, he knows he's the best player in the league. But there's other circumstances I think that go into it, so so he did right, and I I think that's gosh I I just commend that type of you know that type of attitude um, and, and something we something I personally should be doing more. Yeah, I I probably could use some thanks right now. Thank me for something. Feel free. <laughs> Andrew, tell me how good I am. You know, you your bicep and tricep combination just look great in proportion to your body. I'll just tell you that. <laughs> cool, cool. I can I can always use use more of those. I'd be interested. Like, I'd love to go backwards and see if you know MJ was ever throwing out shout outs to like uh, I don't know Magic Johnson when you got a fat deal or a big endorsement deal or that's or that's new age i think that i'd be interested to know if the old school players if they think this is kind of lame kind of sally kind of sissy <laughs> totally totally so to, to number one you know being a source of energy that lifts those around you i've made it sound like it doesn't require much energy it doesn't require that much effort right to to make those around you feel better about themselves for you andrew is this is this is this a hard thing to do? Does it require physical and emotional and mental energy to, to lift up people around us? Or do you think once it becomes unconscious, something that we just do, um, you know, out of, uh, I guess, out of habit, does it require the amount of energy that I think it does? I mean, I'm not a neuroscientist or any of that other garbage. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know from a from a from an actual level but i think it, it just from being practical i think about when you learn something new the amount of you know brain cycles or devotion to it that's going to wear you down until it turns into a habit so i think on the front end it's going to take some uh, it's going to take some effort there's actually a uh, a really interesting um there's not even an article i was listening to a, a podcast the other day and they were talking about you know, the whole making of the bed is making of the bed every morning beneficial. And it was interesting to hear both sides of the argument. One of them was very uh, logical, like, hey, you get up, you make your bed, you feel good about yourself. And that puts you on a path for momentum the, the rest of the day. And then you had other people saying like, no, man, just like the thought of making my bed makes me frustrated uh, and wasting mental energy to do that is is going to make me less productive <laughs> throughout the day. And it's kind of interesting that they had a 
uh, a scientist come on later and he said something similar to what I was mentioning, which is where I got the idea that, hey, yeah, on the front, it'll take time. But once it becomes a, uh, a habit that you're doing every day, the, the cycles of thought um, will not occur and it will not diminish your productivity. So for me, anyway, you're spot on. Um, on the front end, I don't think it's very natural for me to be walking through the airport and see someone struggling with their luggage um, and just offering up like, hey, do you, do you need a hand with this or is there anything I can do? Um, I feel like I notice myself doing it more. Uh, this is going to sound awful. Like, like when I don't have anything better to do, um, or, or when I'm bored or maybe I'm not, not busy. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what that means about me, but that just seems to be when it happens. Right. Like I think, I think of the last time I, uh, went directly out of my way for a complete stranger. It was like, I was on you know, similar to you, I was, I was on an airplane and somebody was, the guy next to me was kind of rustling through all the stuff. He couldn't find what he needed and I wasn't doing anything. And I was like, Hey man, do you want me to, do you want me to hold your laptop for a second while you find what you need? Um, and obviously he was happy about it, but I don't know if I would have reacted similarly. Um, you know, if I was knee deep trying to get a presentation done or presentation done for, uh, when I landed. So yep. I don't know. I don't, yeah, it's, it's hard. I think, I think the net out is, it's going to take some cycles on the front end, but I think the the long term effect of delivering that positivity to other people is going to be uh, heavily impactful. Right. No, I like it. I so I'm a I'm a I'm a pretty big fan of of psychology, and you know I took two psychology courses in college, and arguably two of my favorite classes had two really good professors, and I was doing a little bit of research on what we refer to today as positive psychology. And in 1998, there was a guy, a psychologist named Martin Seligman, um, basically came up with three specific traits that define positive psychology. The three are positive emotions, positive individual traits, and positive institutions. And basically what, what it came down to was those who practice positive psychology attempt psychological interventions that foster positive attitudes towards one's subjective experiences, individual traits, and life events. So the goal is to minimize pathological thoughts that may arise in a hopeless mindset and to instead develop a sense of optimism towards life. And I thought my best finding from this research on Martin Seligman was was that the basic premise of positive psychology is that human beings are often drawn by the future more than they are driven by the past, okay? So human beings are often drawn by the future more than they are driven by the past. And I thought that was interesting. I think in the context of unconscious bias, I think the runner in Chicago, these type of people have an optimistic and a clear focus on where they're going in life. And they don't dwell on things that happened in the past, whether they be positive or negative, right? I I think they look to the future, they have clear goals and clear ambitions, and they know where they want to be, and that drives their positivity uh, inwardly. Does that make sense? It it does. Now now I'm thinking back to... When we were talking about, uh, you know, the, this this big mindset for for younger kids, so it's almost like a uh, an, an ethical problem that more young adults are not thinking this way. Like that's what I just heard. Like, does that make sense, or am I just completely missing the boat? It totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. 
So we have a we have a generational problem of people just thinking not not negatively, but just not aspirationally. And by not looking farther into the future and not looking for bigger things, you you almost I, I you know that really connected a point for me the how this this slightness or 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 just a middle thought path of people not being committed to like this vision of who they want to be, it quickly turns into a negative victim, victim mindset. Yeah, completely. Right. When I think about if something really good happens to me, um, you know, maybe an example of that, let's say, let's say I close a big deal and I know now I've got a paycheck that's coming on the tail end of that. When that happens, I feel like I'm at my highest of highs Yep. Right. When I lose a deal, like it's on the very opposite end. I'm totally doubting my ability to sell. I'm doubting my ability to, you know, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to get fired now. Right. All these, <laughs> all these doubts creep into my mind and, and any, any salesperson out there will know exactly what I'm talking about here. But gosh, Andrew, if there was a way for me to visualize each and every in this case, deal that I'm going to close in the future and what that impact's going to have on me, my positive levels inside of my body, mentally, physically, emotionally, are all going to be so much higher that when I'm happy, when good things happen to me, I'm, you know, I'm more positive in general to everybody, to my wife, to my family, to, to people on the street. When bad things happen, I shut down, I internalize it. Uh, I don't have much outward expression. So mm-hmm. I think if there's ways for, for me, you know, psychologically to look at and, and visualize when good things are going to happen, that positive mentality will always be existing. Yeah, I think I think for me, what I'm hearing you talk about is that the, you know, when you're not positive, what do you do? Like Because it, it, it's virtually impossible to be 100% perfect with that mindset all the time. And there's a big difference between what's going on between your ears and what you're doing externally and which one's controlling which, right? I, I, think, um, I think most people associate me with, you know, having – having a strong outward focus in terms of being positive and thinking that good things are going to happen. But sometimes what's going on between my ears isn't always the same. Right. So how do you, how do you, how do they, how do they balance one another and how do we allow which one to manifest the other one? Like thoughts become things, but depending on what those things are that you're surrounding themselves, it can dictate, it can dictate your thoughts. So that's all good stuff. And I think we're probably going to segue what we've just talked about here into some future topics uh, like routines and habits. And I think if we were going to keep this conversation going much longer, those would be the next things we would get to, like how having that daily routine allows you to be more positive, et cetera, et cetera. I love it. Yeah. And I, th- I think there's going to be certain things that we'll share on the podcast and with our listeners. I, I almost want this unconscious positivity I don't know. I don't even know if that's a thing. I think it's a word that I made up perhaps, but I almost want that to drive lots of the, lots of the dialogue and lots of the behavior we have, because I think it can almost tie into, um, you know, every fiber of what we discuss and and who we are. So, Mm -hmm. um, I love it. I think we're going to, I think we're going to wrap. I hope, uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the podcast today. And Andrew, as always, uh, you were brilliant. Thank you for uh, another fantastic 
podcast. Goodness. And before, before we go, everybody remember what we talked about today. Let's, let's aspire for some big things and let's look for somebody to help without them asking. And, and I think that'll put everybody on a more positive note for next week. Amen. Thank you for joining another episode of the Middlemen Podcast. We thank you for joining us, and as always, it's the small and simple things that will enable you to live in the middle.